1: Big Chris Live is back to live streaming, and that is a big thanks to our friend and collaborator Dean Blundell, DeanBlundell.com. We are live now on Dean Tube, which sounds filthy, even though it's just a different tube. There's lots of tubes out there. Uh, Dean Tube, one of many tubes. It's uh, like Red Tube, but just a slightly bit more class here. We're going to uh, get off the dick jokes. We've had a lot of uh, a a cornucopia of dick jokes on the podcast as of late, but we're going to take things to serious town. I've invited uh, Kent Stewart back on the podcast, retired major Kent Stewart. He was here on episode three for my Favorite Veteran, the Remembrance Dave Eve podcast. And now David Harms also joins the discussion. David and I uh, have uh, crossed paths many a times uh, during my civilian stint with the Canadian Forces. I believe, David, you were writing, uh, what, was it a thesis? You were writing a big essay? Or a... It, was a, uh, it was the full doctoral dissertation. Wow. That's a mouthful, too doctorate dissertation <laughs> you should read it <laughs> yeah. you know what i haven't had a chance is it published like can i go read it somewhere because i was going to ask about that
0: you yeah it's um they're you know they're published through the libraries so you can oh, okay. uh, you can look it up and
2: which one yeah. which university
0: i did it through the ryerson and york uh, joint program in communication and culture so you can find it there. And uh, it talks about international broadcasting and the role of international broadcasting in uh, nation building operations.
1: Yeah. And, and you did use the project that I was involved with at the time as part of that study, but also previous ones. Right. Which was was it Kosovo.
0: That's that's right. Yeah, we looked at um, the three models in it were uh, were Bosnia, Kosovo and Afghanistan.
1: Okay. And uh, for those who are just catching up, uh, we discussed this a little bit when Kent was on on episode three uh, regarding my past with the Canadian forces, uh, where uh, in Afghanistan we were running a, a radio station, um, you know, broadcasting to the populace of Afghanistan for the teenagers of Afghanistan to listen to. And the idea of this radio station was so that if the teenagers, basically, this is layman's terms, but uh, basically, that if the teenagers of Afghanistan were listening to our radio station, they were not out joining the Taliban or uh, uh, getting into trouble, as it were, and uh, able to spread the message of peace and so forth. So that was a big part of of my life. Really changed my uh, worldviews. And uh, David was again writing his uh, doctorate at the time, uh, and using that radio station as an example. And you were always a great resource for me too, David. So uh, thanks for being on the podcast and joining us. And Kent Stewart, uh, a long line as you uh, demonstrated, even made the year end highlight reel. Kent, all those medals that you've got behind the bar there that you're showing off in the background uh, a long line of uh, family history in the canadian military and uh, great to have you back again so we're live on dean Tube, but of course the podcast as always is available after the fact on big chris radio on uh youtube and also on all platforms spotify uh apple podcasts and uh oh yeah deanblundell.com too Can we give Dean any more plugs? All right, we're moving on. Um, It's inauguration eve in the United States. Tomorrow, uh, if everything goes according to plan, Joe Biden will be inaugurated as the uh, new president of the United States. Um, Obviously, there has been a lot of contention leading up to this. Um, Is it reasonable to expect that this so-called insurrection that we had uh, not so long ago that's made headlines has made waves is it not so reasonable to expect that those are just the farmers with pitchforks and torches those aren't the actual soldiers of this movement and and we're yet to see the soldiers of this movement i, I you know people keep using the term civil war. And you know what, I think the QAnon people and the MAGA people would love to use the term civil war. But really, what I think we're headed for is an insurgency. And let me lay out the comparison here. Um, And I'm using America to Afghanistan uh, as the comparison. And that's how uh, how far America, I think, has dipped on uh, people's uh, expectation levels. But... um, 14% of Americans are all in on Q, the Q conspiracy, QAnon conspiracy theory, while 38% of Americans aren't sure or agree with some of the conspiracy. That is an awfully large portion of the population, especially when it's 14% who die die hard believe in the QAnon conspiracy. uh, Flash over to uh, Afghanistan, 14% 14% of Afghans identify as sympathetic to the Taliban and their cause. 14% of Americans are all in on Q. 14% of Afghans identify as sympathetic to the Taliban. Main question here, gentlemen, what are we looking at? I say potato, you say potato. I say insurgency, you say blank. We'll start with Kent Stewart.
2: Well, it's quite an intro there, Chris. Um, Insurgency, I think, is an interesting concept in itself. And, I, and I'm not sure that what we're witnessing right now is an insurgency. And I think my own personal view and, is that I think Donald Trump came into this with a with a very detailed ideology and a plan for how he was going to tackle his presidency if he won. And he started before the election actually got underway four years ago. And he started to put doubt into the media, as we all know. He started a very uh, robust, patriotic march towards the presidency. And he started to look at the GOP or the Republican Party as something that he could manipulate or change. And I would say this is very much like what Hitler did in the 30s, 1930s, before he took power, and with his very carefully picked staff of uh, you know smart people of the time and of the day, and once he took power and and took the chancery, I mean it just it moved from there. He created a propaganda propaganda ministry, and he changed the the whole. The whole messaging of the media, of the entertainment uh, uh, venues of the time, everything that was produced that the public could access was manipulated by Goebbels, by Hitler, and by others of his of his key staff members. And the whole purpose was: I'm going to change this. Government or this regime, you know, go from a democracy uh, of, of, of like a social democracy sort of thing to a a fascist regime, and he had a lot of templates to work from before uh, he took power. I mean, uh, the, Spain was a good example, Italy was a good example, and he took a lot of great. Uh, well, great! Uh, I'm going to use that quotation marks there. Yeah, yeah. But he took a lot of good examples of how to do things, and once he had the power, he did them. And he had followers, and he he not only manipulated that uh, that patriotism and that that uh, desire for change coming out of World War One uh, that that the people started to believe in him and started to uh, to take on his ideology as well. And you know, I take it to the 1940s. Late or mid forties, forty three, forty four. Like with the twelfth SS, twelfth SS Panzer Division, the Hitler Youth Division under Kurt Meyer. These seventeen year olds were were cult like uh, participants. Oh yeah, look look that up on
1: YouTube. Like it's crazy to see some of those Hitler Youth videos. To see the training, the regime, the looks on their faces. It's it's scary.
2: They were obsessed with Hitler. He was very. He was a, He was. I, he was their hero. He was their. He was their. You know, their statue of virtue, for lack of a better term. But he, that that division fought the Canadians uh, after D-Day, and the Canadians and in the war diaries talking about uh, this 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 Hitler Youth division in tanks, you know, like a, an armored division that was kicking their ass for the first couple of days and then it wasn't until they could actually get the word out to the troops going you can't treat them like kids they are killers yeah. and they will kill you without even a what you know and so what what kurt meyer's mistake was by 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 not giving quarter and not taking prisoners it changed the whole process for canadian soldiers they knew that these young men were were absolutely not going to be convinced otherwise and so it was it was, we're going through and we're not going to stop. Yeah. So it wasn't are 17 year olds. We got to no. they're going to shoot you in the back as soon as they can. So I, I go back to my first part was, is this really, is it, it's, it has the, the pieces of an insurgency. You've got the ideology, you've got the cult like uh, uh, belief system with, with some people. And, you know, as soon as you put any sort of logic or factual information in doubt, and you put all of those sources that provide that information in doubt then mm-hmm. people have no other uh, option but to believe their guy yeah and that's yeah. Uh, I'll, 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 i'm sure james has one has some uh, some information to pass in there but that's my first sort of go at at your question
1: yeah so so you mentioned the mob kent and and the mob that that hitler had and and trump's got a mob too we've seen it on tv Brown and, shirts and the he, brown shirts are alive and well yeah and he commands it with his twitter account uh, you know, that's that's now the finger that points to the direction in which it goes, uh, which I think is is the most interesting part. And I know, David, you uh, have uh, quite a, a, an analysis on communications and especially social media, your take on on how he's uh, enabled. Sorry, the- David, I
2: call you James. I was wrong. <laughs> it's OK. <laughs>
1: he's in the basement his best friend is named james and i know james is probably coming over later for drinks anyways uh yeah anyways um but your take with how he's he's manipulated social media i i call him the greatest influencer of all time donald trump i, I don't know, right like how how what's your take david yeah
0: i i agree with that uh, assessment um wholeheartedly he's uh if nothing else he's very good at dominating the news cycle mm-hmm. um at, at almost any time and I, I just think the, the one challenge, though, when we see when we start talking about um, what happened on January 6th as uh, the origins or the part uh, of an insurgency, is it to me, it really starts to um, to inflate the language, to inflate the rhetoric around it, uh, because, um, yes, there's followers and yes, there there is a mob here, but it was much more of a riotous mob. Uh, going on in the sense that there wasn't really a lot of organization to it. There wasn't uh, outside of disruption. Um, there wasn't really an end game of any sort. And so, what happens? You know, it's a it's a good it's a well it, it's a symbolic win for sure. It's a great TV moment. It is it is again dominated the uh, the news cycle, removing everything from the um, from the transfer of power over into this discussion about. Yeah. Is this an insurgency? Are we on the cusp of a civil war? I, I think no is the answer. Um, they're just not organized. They're certainly not armed in a, in in a way um, in any kind of organized way. And so, you know, outside of that uh, small leadership um, from the president himself, uh, there's 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 nothing to organize.
2: Yeah, David, I, David you, you mentioned civil war. So, sorry, no, sorry, didn't want yeah. to take over? But- this is an interesting concept and the idea in even my relatives in the states in Michigan, they, you know, very much Trumpers and they talk about civil war. And I, and I try to challenge them on this. I was like, who is taking sides? And in, it seems to me, you know, you look at the map after the election, you know, the, the Democrats are, are, are popular in the urban centers. And again, you have a lot of the, the, uh, the colored people, and the Hispanic, I'm, I'm just going to say, the the ones that look different than the white supremacists that he leads. <laughs> and so you've got the rural, uh, like when I lived in New York City, you know, it's a Democrat city. And, you know, it, it, with all its flaws, you know, you could still get someone to, to give you to give you a quarter a dollar to get on the subway sort of thing, you know, so there's still that that sense of socialism. And I say that in a good way, not a bad way. Uh, but you know, helping out your your your, your fellow man. But the Civil War—it's almost like it's the urban versus the rural. And mm-hmm. So, David, how do you? What do you think about that piece?
0: Um, I I think I would uh, divide it up a little bit further than that. There's definitely um, you can see politically there's an urban-rural divide. Um, but the 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 Trumpists, the the mob here is not. Um, it's not just a, a reflection of the Republican Party. And I think that's, you know, that's where we're seeing the biggest split now is between um, the people supporting Donald Trump and everyone else in the Republican Party. And so to me, this is, of course, you know, we, when we look at what happened on, on the 6th of January, um, the, the, net, the net gain or loss there, uh, to me, seemed to be much more of a loss. And so um, there was a line drawn in the sand. You had uh, a lot more Republicans starting to uh, disavow the, the actions of the president, uh, the incitement that they discussed, you had a lot of sponsorship dropping off, um, and and most importantly, um, all the major social media platforms uh, dropping them on that on that day or the day after. And so, um, <clears throat> talking about his his ability to use Twitter to incite the mob or to uh, dominate the news cycle, you drop eighty eight million followers in in uh, a day on one platform alone. That's that's a huge that's a huge loss. That's a huge problem.
2: And he still was able to manipulate that whole piece with the First Amendment, uh, you know, uh, cry and saying you're taking away our freedom of speech. And it's like, you know, wait a second here. (laughs) You know, again, I don't think a lot of uh, a lot of uh, Trump Americans or Trump pro-Trump Americans understand what freedom really means. they certainly don't read their constitution or the amendments to that constitution. I mean, let's, let's take the second amendment. It's probably the worst worded sentence. It's that's what it is a sentence, but it's probably the worst worded sentence in, in English uh, history, in my opinion, but anyhow, uh, but that's the, the interesting piece you brought up about the, uh, uh, the mob and i think the other piece that it attracts is the poorly educated and this comes back to the whole idea of youth being very uh, susceptible to ideology and to and to uh, you know very very I'm going to say uber patriotism at the time and right. and uh, so as soon as you get those on board and they they don't question what doesn't make sense or might not make sense but the whole idea of analyzing something and and using factual uh principal uh, information primary information it's certainly evident there that, that they're so easily led to believe things which are absolutely absurd. Yeah. Now let's
1: uh, roll back to something, David, you mentioned uh, how the Republican Party is now seeing a split, those who support Donald Trump blindly, you know, that blind faith or that blind following, but also um, we're seeing that the side that, that are disgusted with what happened and, and are calling for a time of unity and, and are being human beings, which is nice. Um, and, uh, you know, the thought that um, uh, that we're seeing that that divide now, um, is it, uh, is there anything that we can take out of that um, in that is going to is it going to is it going to work out? Because, you know, I see we, we see these people like like that are that are siding with them, but they've already been discredited at 14 percent of the country that believes that they're all in on QAnon. Uh, well, they, they already believe it's a sham anyways That Fox News and all the former Republicans like George Bush, who are, you know, are, are siding now with sanity um, are all uh, part of the conspiracy. Right. So I still think that's a dangerous portion of the population to have. And, and while they're not uh, entirely organized, um, you know, that fracture in the Republican Party. Uh, i'm I'm happy to report and I hope you guys can corroborate this that we haven't seen that come down in the military the military for the most part has been steadfast and the Pentagon and everybody is is uh, looking for this peaceful transition of power um, you know I think that what we would have a problem if say for example, Uh, There was 14% of the military uh, or 14% of the military uh, leadership that decided that they also wanted to split away with Donald Trump. And come with me on this journey for a second, gentlemen. Like, what if Donald Trump showed up after Inauguration Day tomorrow in a general's outfit, started calling himself the colonel? You know, what if he showed up and he had a shadow cabinet of ministers and former military advisors? Like, what What if? What if?
2: Well, the nice thing is, is that I think the majority of the military in the U.S., they take their oath seriously. It is something yes. that is, is uh, you know, it's the first and foremost thing that they are taught and that they do just like our military we have our oath of allegiance uh, to to her majesty you know theirs is to the constitution and it is not to a person it is not to the president it's not to this it's to their constitution and having served with the u.s army in afghanistan and uh and other places this is something that comes clear or comes through pretty clear is that their loyalties are to upholding the values of the constitution not to Whoever is president of the day, and I think that's one of the safeguards in their system, which is, is probably a very good thing because I think the military will be, will be the first ones to say, "Whoa, whoa! You know, we're not getting involved in this. You're talking about an insurrection, you know, or, yeah. or a coup, if you wish. We're not getting involved." Uh, and, and well, some soldiers may actually believe it, but they will not actively become engaged as as a military unit.
1: Yeah. Now, I mean, there were some former veterans or members of the military and police and fire and everyone who showed up in that riot. But, you know, I, I think that there's certain. Uh, actors in the media, or certain, um, you know, uh, bloggers out there. Even I wouldn't even say mainstream media, but certain blogs and bloggers out there who love to prote- portray that as as a, uh, a salacious headline uh, when a member of the services, uh, whether it be military or police force, uh, were were seen or spotted in that riot. I mean, is, that has become a problem as well. If we want to trans- uh, transition to, you know. News, news media in 2021 now uh, and and how it's played its role in all of this divide and and even the way it trickles into Canada I do not think that if we were not exposed to these arguments and these debates and and in uh, a lot of the, this cases these conspiracies in America uh, that we wouldn't have a, as fractured of a, a political divide in Canada as we do although it is to a, a much lesser degree. Uh, than they have in the united states but it's still there
2: sources aren't as biased as they are exactly i mean it's you know you you just watch cnn for a couple hours you know at the top of the hour you've got the monologue from you know the individual that just bleeds his opinion or her opinion on what's happening same thing with the other sources they do the same thing uh it's all of you know got to keep that membership you got to keep that viewership to keep the ratings up and and uh, keep the money flowing in so at the end of the day this is the other piece that i always find You know, you hear them talk; they, they say the word socialism a lot they say the word communism a lot but both parties love their money i mean yeah. come on i mean the economy of the united states depends upon you know a capitalist uh you know organization so it, it's funny when they use these terms and i just don't think they really understand what they mean
1: yeah dave your take on on new media and, and the way the news is uh, unfolded in the last few years, the way it's transitioned. Yeah, I
0: um, I, I agree with Kent. Where it, it is, it's very very divided and much more polarized in the United States, of course, than here. But what we're what we're seeing, um, you know, outside of the mainstream media itself, is uh, much more uh, splintering into factions, right? And mm-hmm. just a characteristic of modern media, of social media, the uh, the communities that are self selecting, the siloed uh, information, and so. Um, not only are we slicing the market in slightly different ways and not just you know democrat republican sort of followers but now we're getting into more and more um you know uh, narrow sort of focuses and this this you know part of that that um ability the ecosystem i guess uh, of of a segment of the population to just kind of listen to their own uh listen to their own comments believe their own propaganda and and they do start to get outside of the the realm of, uh, facts as, as the rest of us know them. What I, I did want to come back to though, the yeah. role, um, that we're seeing with the, um, with the military right now is that if the, um, if the actions that happened on the, the 6th of January, um, raised a lot of these questions about the loyalty, whether there were, um, whether there were military members or police members or whatever that were inside that crowd. I think what we're seeing now is the, the, the symbolic response to that. And so um, you know uh, mass deployments uh, around the capitol and and uh, capitol buildings, uh, uh, I think in every state across the uh, across the country. Um, we're seeing you know such a, a um, what I would say again uh, a, a great aspect of state propaganda here to sort of reinforce the um, the connection between the military and the government and not of a party but the military and the government. And as as Kent sa- said earlier, the, um, the loyalty that uh, uh, that members of the US military place in the Constitution and so it, it's really to me it's really communicating the fact that the uh, the system is working right uh, the government is is in full control it's going to remain in control the inauguration is going to be um, you know seamless uh, nothing will happen there and so um, it's just sort of a, a response to this kind of chaotic um, you know symbolism that came out of the uh, the the January
1: 6th uh, events. Yeah. Now, you know are you that confident and nothing's going to happen, Dave? Because, you know, I, I, again, I read these, uh, let's call them uh, alternative news blogs and uh, like say vice. And, uh, you know, I read on vice today that uh, uh, 25,000 National Guard troops are being heavily vetted by the government before this event. And uh, to weed out any potential uh, bad actors or whatever term you want to use for them uh, for, for any uh, events. And then also, um, you know, I, I read about uh, you know other examples of FBI chatter. When was the last time we heard FBI chatter? Two thousand and one, after September the eleventh. Like I don't remember FBI chatter being a thing in the last five six years, but FBI chatter is back and I think back that was hard. The X-Files. That was the
2: X Files. That oh, was the X Files.
1: Oh, wasn't so. You know, I I just feel like. The, the, there seemingly is some of these. Maybe they're scare tactics. Maybe it's just overblown the way uh, certain blogs and certain news sites love to sensationalize things. Uh, is there any legitimacy to these uh, to these to these stories that I'm reading? I, can I, if I can, uh, if I can start on this one? I would say um, it's not that there
0: is a question of legitimacy or not, but the the, the U.S. military is coming off a 20-year stint of counterinsurgency operations. Mm. Right? They have this. Down and so it's such a, a reflexive uh, moment for them. They know how to, to to set up, you know, the outer cordon,s the inner cordon,s all the all the kind of physical things that are going on. But they're also very aware of this um, of, of the potential of like insider attacks and things that they would see uh, not through their own military, but but from either the, you know the the uh, Iraqi armed forces or the Afghan uh, armed forces. And so um, as a uh, an added layer of caution. Um, they have the time. Uh, they have the resources. So so why not? And as a way of, again, communicating to the public that we're, you know, checking, uh, checking everything here just to make sure um, I, I think it's worth it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, they,
2: it, they, it, David's right. He's, you know, the counterinsurgency piece is very important in, in in this conversation because the Pentagon is intimately involved in this whole process. And they're working with other uh, other government departments, OGDs, to make sure that this is going to be as as safe and as uh, you know smooth as possible, but will will there be an incident? I would imagine there will be a there will be a small group or an, or a large group, or there will be a group of some form of fashion that you will see that will be there trying to impose themselves on on the uh, on the day, and they will have their flags flying, and they will they will be you know exercising their 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 constitutional freedoms to do so. Okay. But it will be cordoned off, and it you the layers will be there, just as David said. I mean, yeah. they are good at this, and they will they will make sure that it's it's done right.
1: Well, yeah, and you're right. I hadn't even thought of that, Dave. You know the uh, the amount of counterinsurgencies that the U.S. has had to go through in the last twenty years is baffling i mean even if you want to talk about some of the drone programs in yemen and and some of the other smaller like forget iraq and afghanistan and uh you know and then the isis thing in iraq again and you know and you know but like yeah some of the smaller little skirmishes or I, I use that term maybe not smaller we, skirmish most but most
2: western militaries like nato is is slowly moving away from the traditional you know we're gonna all line up in the battlefield we're gonna have our doctrinal movement through the through the plains now asymmetric warfare is the the new terminology everything is about how do we do this better quicker more Mm -hmm. conveniently you know how do we use technology to to our advantage and and how do we make our our strike as precise as possible so the whole idea of you know divisions doing this yeah we'll still have those formations but the asymmetric nature of warfare is now very much the the lead
0: yeah, this uh, this part, Kent, particularly um, the asymmetric aspect of this political contest in the U.S. is a very important one. Um, when we look particularly at the, you know, the role of of the news media, uh, either formally or informally, um, as one of the biggest con- sort of contested uh, spaces. And so knowing like this is very much an asymmetric uh, contest, I don't want to call it a battle, but it's an asymmetric contest where the, um, the battle over access to the news media is one side of it and then uh, you know over over meaning and interpretation uh, is the next. And And I think to your point that there's probably going to be some sort of like small event or something happening uh, is very likely because I think the, the people know in this that it, it won't take much in order to gain access. And so this is the sort of thing like what happened on, on the 6th of January, you have a couple of hundred people. Um, storming into the Capitol. Right. It's not uh, this is not, you know, divisions coming over the hill kind of thing. Right. It's a couple of hundred people. And so the ability for uh, a small group, four or five people to be able to not disrupt the inauguration, but at least um, create some headlines for themselves. That's that's very possible and and very likely.
1: Headlines in their own little social media uh, echo chambers. Right. That they're going to just all pat each other on the back for. That's right. Look yeah. for
0: look for people dressed up in uh, in all sorts of costumes and things oh, that they no. know.
1: Again, we will, be, uh, will another, be great. Another Viking guy. Just what we need, that Viking horn guy. Too many memes. That's the thing, right? It's If you can make a meme, you can get your statement out there. And uh, man, has Trump Nation or MAGA or whatever you want to call them clued into that over the last few years? Um, and just uh, c- while we get, I'm going to get ready to wrap up this little sub segment on social media here um but i do want to talk about specifically facebook twitter and the reward system that seems to be in place uh for for creating controversy or for creating negativity because uh they there was a new york times article i'll cite the new york times where they they had a veteran and a college student um and they they once they started posting about more extreme things, they started to see their their likes and and comments go from within the tens to the hundreds. And and is that the is that the echo chamber or is that the algorithm of Facebook just inherently wanting to be negative because it gets the most reaction. It doesn't know that it's negative, but it gets the most reaction so it keeps the the ball rolling down the hill. What are we looking Retreat at here?
2: System.
0: Yeah, it's the it's the uh, how the the algorithms respond to our own psychology and uh, people are uh, certainly interacting with things that are uh, negative or uh, or conflictual and Mm -hmm. and the algorithms support that. And so they'll they'll work to reinforce that. So things that are um, having conflict by nature uh, are creating more engagement and and then because there's more engagement, they're spreading further and uh, and faster.
1: Yeah. And and so, like, pushing to another point that I'm, I'm, again, feel free to debate, confirm or deny, whatever. But again, with the tactics that they're using for the inauguration, I'm going to throw that, I'm going to lump this into it. But also, when it comes to social media... Like, I think we're going to see more and more policing of social media now. Like, I'm glad that the private sector of America, which is Facebook and Twitter and all these private industries that have these apps, uh, all banded together to get rid of Trump or to ban Trump because they realized finally it was affecting their bottom line. So I feel in a lot of ways the capitalistic end of of America self-corrected eventually, in that, in that regard. I mean, yeah, I mean like a little bit, but maybe, but, um, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, there needs to be more regulation on social media and I'm not one, uh, you guys both know me. I'm not a regulatory guy. Hmm. You know, I'm not like a, you know, I don't like regular regulations, but I have this and I don't know how it would play out. And maybe you guys can, can, I can bounce this off of you, but we need to have, our own social media silos for our nations, you know, and this comes into something we're going to move transition to, uh, I think to to cap off our discussion here today is psyops, info ops coming from other nations. And, you know, we we can get into Russia, China, Iran, whatever nation, but um, you know, we need to have some kind of a border on our internet Access or what we're being exposed to, because we all know, we've heard Russian bots, Russian bots, or, you know, these bots that aren't even real people, or are people on the other side of the world that are running these these fake accounts. Um, We need protection against that. I mean, listen, if a segment of Canada or a segment of America truly believes, you know, certain certain things. I want to know. I want to know that it's legit. Like, cause I want to see the diversity of opinion that's out there, but I want to trust it as well. I want to trust that it came from a Canadian, even if it is some guy, you know, sitting in his mom's basement and he doesn't have a lot going for him and he's, and he's writing angry things. I still want to know that he's a Canadian and that he could be my neighbor or he's a, a p- fellow member of my society, right? Is there a way to Without coming off as some dystopian, you know, uh, authoritarian regime, is there a way to make sure that other nations aren't able to do that to us, like like they're still doing to us, like they've done to us and America? You know, is there a way to protect ourselves from that?
2: Let me let me uh, start off, David. You yeah, yeah. You're 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 the more educated of the two of us, so I'm gonna let you finish off, but I'll have my I'll have my little piece. You know, we, we use the phrase freedom isn't free and we use it here. We use, they use it in the States, they use it other places. But I, I think the, the key for me is that when you understand that speech and uh, you know, language has influence and when you say things and it's based upon hate or it's based upon a prejudice, or it's based upon a false uh, piece of information or a lie, then that's where the freedom of speech starts to be infringed upon. And there's no, there's no, as you say, there's no referee right now as a check and balance for that. And it's it's really going to the left uh, and to the hard right in both in both ways. Mm-hmm. So. In my, you know, just my little piece of 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 the world, you know, when you say freedom isn't free, it's but it it can't, you can't infringe upon other people's freedom either. You can't incite hate. You can't, you know, make things dangerous for other people because of your supposed supposed freedom. And I think this is where we need to educate people again to say, you know what. Yeah, our forefathers fought for freedoms, but you really need to understand what those freedoms are and what your responsibility is within that application of freedom. And I think there's a piece of that missing in this country and a huge piece of that missing down south. Okay. Tirade ends. Here we go. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, like Kent is not wrong
0: about the, uh, about the information and uh, certainly we have laws Um, that help regulate some of that extreme right uh for whether they're hate speech or libel um these types of things to to prevent that sort of outright um hostility or slandering but the the information system or environment that that you described chris um was almost like that information nationalism from you know generations gone by uh because we do you know within broadcast of course uh we have the the crtc that is, is regulating what's going on over the airwaves. Um, we have all sorts of uh, laws of what publications can come in and out of the country, um, split run magazines and all these sort of things that you'll remember. And so there's been a lot of laws around uh, sort of containing information uh, within a country. Sometimes they call it information sovereignty um, and, and protecting you or isolating the population from information outside of the country move forward to the digital revolution, the addition of social media, all of that disappears, right? And so we have this this tremendous uptake of transnational communication. um, And no longer are our communities, uh, our information environments, um, organized around the nation state. They start to then transition to these communities of sentiment, whether it's like just People who are are uh, speaking English is one uh, you know one way it's it it, it rounds out um, or any other language for that matter, um, but also these communities of interest uh, politically, and then you know we start getting further and further refined into groups that are um, back into that uh, back into that echo chamber, and so um, you know we have the laws, we have the, the ability to be able to to um, you know we can break up the large companies, we can regulate them in different ways. Um, But we also have a lot of leaders that have been supporting them. So if we if we look at this through the lens of Twitter and Facebook dropping uh, Trump from their platforms, they really they really did so like at the 11th hour. Right. Um, There's no question he has made them a huge amount of money uh, over the over the last four years and and beyond.
1: In memes Uh, alone.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. in memes alone, but that's it. But it's all, it's all free content and it's all stuff that moves around. And so 88 million followers is, is not nothing. And um, certainly a big decision. And like, as I say, they, they did the right thing when no other options existed. Right. Um, And so what, but like at the same time, they're also um, sort of letting go of a lame duck president at that point, the power in Washington has already started to shift uh, to the, to the new administration. And so, Why not? Why not set him free at this point? They could have done so,
1: you know, uh, a year ago or or easily. There were so many moments in the past, especially Twitter, that could have, you know, with all the misinformation that he put, even before they started putting notifications like this could be this is false or this doesn't, you know, even before that, they could have done more, you know, but you're right. He made them a ton of money. A ton of cash. And, you know, and that again, I said the capitalist society balanced itself out in the end. But you're right. The 11th hour. And and the same could be said for sane minded Republicans or the leader of the House or the attorney general or anyone like where were you like five months ago? You know, but um, again, I mean, we're moving forward. You're right. And let's
2: not forget this guy has the biggest platform for speaking out probably in the world. He know. goes into that uh, office, into that press box office in the White House. He can go any time of the day and he can speak to the nation. And yet he used Twitter.
1: Yeah. On the toilet at 3 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, and I think, you know, from a traditional
0: standpoint, you're absolutely correct. But now in the in the sort of modern information environment that we have, um, it's it's I, I would think uh, arguable that, um his platform over Twitter is greater than the, uh, the white house, uh, press box. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, we have, he's probably had access to that over the last little while. And I know he's done a few little things. He's got some garden of celebrities that he's come up with as his final thing. I'm sure that's the little garden with all the little, I don't know what they're doing, the celebrity garden or whatever they're calling it, that he's that's like, that's what we're going to remember him for, for sure. Not all the other stuff, the celebrity garden on his way out for sure. Um, So on the topic of of the social media, let's transition to hardcore psyops, info ops. This will be our last subtopic. We'll wrap up on this. But again, you know, you want to talk about conspiracies. You know, QAnon is on the right, you know, but on the left, there's a pretty hard conspiracy that has not been proven. And that would be the the Russia conspiracy. Um, Now, for me... From my experience, uh, working in psyops and sitting in a portable where my full workday was consumed with creating information to pacify a population, I know what I did in that psyop realm. I can only imagine what goes on in some of the more aggressive countries like Russia, like China, with their psyops pressing in on Western nations, um, So I sort of lean to believe the Russiagate, you know, it may not have been proven, it may not have uh, ended up, the Mueller report may not have been the big bombshell that CNN promised us for seven months on end, Um, but there is some shreds of truth out there that, that still ring true to me, and maybe, again, maybe it's the echo chamber, maybe it's the alternative blogs, maybe it's the whatever, but when I see how America has devolved Over the last while, I see what happened in Crimea. And for those who aren't, I know you guys know what Crimea is, Kent and Dave, but for those who don't know what Crimea is, it is a former province of Ukraine that was annexed by Russia. And it started when the Ukrainian uh the government had a transition of power. They got a president who was not as friendly to Russia, who is not as on good terms with Vladimir Putin. And the next thing you know, the province of Crimea wants to separate. Now, feel free to correct my history here, guys, if I'm screwing this up. Um, but uh, province of Crimea all of a sudden wants to separate. And it started with a grassroots movement through social media and then protests. And the populace wants to separate and join Russia. And the next thing you know... Russian troops are in there fighting a civil war with Crimea to separate from the Ukraine, and now it has been annexed. I don't think it's been rubber stamped by NATO or rubber stamped by uh, the industrialized. Yeah, it, it hasn't been. But, but. If the occupied Golan
2: in uh, Syria and, and Israel.
1: Yeah, exactly. So. Like, this, to me, seems like what happens in America is that you've got these Russian bots who have done the same thing, spread misinformation. They had the perfect opportunity with the pandemic to make it even worse on top of it all. They got Trump installed, you know, not necessarily as deep as maybe people want to believe on the left, but the bots certainly helped. And the, and the social media helped that they poured poured gasoline on the fire to get Trump elected and, and everything ever since has been sowing these seeds of anti-government stuff, and now we're seeing protests. And I'm just like, wow. It seems to me like it's out of Russia's playbook. Am I crazy?
2: I'll I'll start. Okay. (laughs) So I think, you know, historically we have to remember that uh, Crimea was traditionally uh, a Russian, ethnically Russian uh, area. And so you're right. There was the grassroots movement to go back to uh, the you know the the glory days of uh of Russia and, and that connection it was it was the Soviet Union that that took them away from traditional Russia and created the the Ukraine so we have to remember this this dynamic but uh you know were they happy being part of Ukraine yeah, yeah like you like you said as long as there was that connection with with mother Russia and Putin and as soon as you change that dynamic people get unhappy so there, there there's that piece now the the whole idea of the information operation and the psy up towards going uh, that that direction. I mean, there 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 has to be a well thought out plan. There has to be, you know, the narrative has to be maintained because if you stray from the narrative of what you want to achieve in that black or gray zone, then you know, you're you're going to have splintering off of everything, and you're going to lose your your focus. So I think the Crimea is a good a good example of the information operation to to, to do what they did, and it was successful. Uh, so now that they have what they want, um, there are the the question is with the Russian piece in in the U S. Like, what's what's the narrative here? Like, what what you have to kind of reverse the the propaganda. What are we looking at, and what are they trying to achieve? is it just disinformation to create a whole bunch of of chaos is that is that the the the, the idea but in that chaos what's the what's the end state like mm-hmm. what do they want to achieve uh you know in Russia's favor yeah trump was an isolationist probably did probably were, were was very much in putin's uh uh view of where he wanted to be and had he had another 4 years it probably would have been even more isolated i think it was getting to that stage and uh so we'll have to see what happens with the with the biden government but uh the scary thing about trump's republican party was how much they was going into an isolationist view and maybe that was the propaganda maybe that maybe that was the focus of the information operation was to to make sure that that trump got in and that the isolationist piece, you know, I want my little piece of America, I want my gun and I don't want anybody to bother me and I don't want to pay taxes, so leave me alone. And then you've got all these, you know, you, you, you've created a situation where the US won't get involved in anything that Russia does. So yeah. David probably has some some better language than I've just used for that. Well, one thing
0: I'd, one thing I'd say is that we have to be uh, a little bit careful not to give too much credit to uh, the disruptors and the psyops out there mm. that are, they are very good at, at creating a little bit of chaos here or disrupting something over there. But in terms of uh, fermenting sort of um, wholesale change is very, very difficult. And so when we take like the idea that, you know, if, a, if all conspiracies sort of have a, a grain of truth somewhere in them um, and we combine that with the Russian, um, psyops or or political warfare model that is more uh, often described as the the fire hose of falsehoods and so they're they're throwing a lot of mud right and a lot of stuff against the wall to see what sticks and so if we go back four years and say the objective was probably just to uh create some chaos disrupt hillary clinton's campaign and lo and behold this uh you know this run up the middle happens donald trump uh, is elected president that's great um, everybody's taking credit for it, right is it uh, yeah. was this russia's doing i I, I don't think so yeah. you know certainly you know they' they're they're making a contribution, but it's stuff that's it's much easier to read into it in hindsight than it is to say you know okay, now go change the government over here.
1: Right. Well, Mother Nature definitely threw Russia a softball with the whole pandemic thing, for sure. I mean, <laughs> I'm pretty sure their bots knocked that one out of the park. Um, but yeah, you're right, Dave, you know, and, and both of you guys are obviously right. And again, these are things that I, I'm asking, and I know a lot of other people are asking themselves, you know, and, and trying to wheedle through what is, what is, you know, what you want to feel sometimes in your heart, like, I want to believe the Russia thing, but you know, I want to get it from from guys who who know better than I do. And you guys certainly do know better than I do in various experiences, whether it's through study or whether it's through uh, all that time in uh, various, various conflicts. Kent, uh, it's uh, it's staggering, actually. Uh, you guys are both uh, you know, sorry. Sorry. Kent is my favorite veteran. But uh, Dave, you could be my second favorite. OK, <laughs> are you still in? Are you still in, Dave? I've I've uh, just recently retired. I thought so. Well, you know, yeah. just the that elder, goes. the elder of the tribe. There, yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It, it's a, it's a great life until a certain point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I hope you guys can uh, obviously be on tap again anytime here on Big Chris Live. I know Kent and I actually do have another date at a future episode. We're going to have a a, a roundtable on uh, The Curse of Oak Island, the television series. Uh, So I don't know if you watch that, Dave, but uh, no, no, that's okay. Don't worry. (laughs) No, as a a media scholar, the one thing I don't do is watch television. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Because you learned. You learned what it's Just all about. for your mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's like working at a hot dog plant and finding out what's in the hot dogs. You're like, I don't know about that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Again, David Harms, Kent Stewart. Thank you for being on the podcast. Big Chris live. We're live on Dean Tube today. In the meantime, if you follow the storyline over the last few episodes, we'll be back to streaming live on Facebook in the not so distant future. I believe we're at day I don't know, like 18 of 30 days before we're allowed back on. That's a whole other story. Like I say, I'm trying to class it up with uh, some different guests. Thanks again, guys.
2: Too much penis talk.
1: I, exactly. That's it. Too many dicks. Too many dicks.
0: What happens when we play outside? I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca.
1: I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.